0: If there's other things that you can change, get more sleep. That's almost for everybody. Other basic things, exercise is really important. Hydration. We all think we're exhausted because we work so much, and that's probably true, but the leading cause of fatigue is dehydration.
1: Welcome to You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. You are ambitious in life and in your career but something is missing. You want to bring more of your passion to what you do, because let's be honest, you pour a ton into your work and it needs to mean more. I'm your host, Laura Eigel. I'm a mom, wife, PhD, coach, advocate, introvert, and indoor rowing fanatic. I'm passionate about living a life that's in line with my values. We'll give you the actionable tips and tools you need to lead with your values, make a difference, and have career success. The world needs more diversity and authenticity in the top jobs at organizations. Your leadership belongs there. You belong in the C-suite. You may have heard me say this before, and it's a little controversial. I don't believe in work-life balance. I believe in prioritizing what matters most and building boundaries that you can actually keep. As women, we are socialized to bypass our boundaries at every turn in our personal lives, with our families, and especially at work. It started for me early in school, getting good grades, going above and beyond, making myself available, being stuck doing all the work on that group project. So it isn't that big of a surprise that it followed me into my career. Does that sound familiar? For years, we've been told to lean in, push through, show up, living up to the expectations of others, Plus your own high standards is a lot. So you push through, you get it all done, but you can't do that forever. Not unless you want to burn out. I'm inviting you to our live virtual workshop, Boundaries Before Burnout. In this two session workshop on August 24th and 29th, learn how to build a boundary that will help you prioritize what matters most. Set up a system that will enable you to keep that boundary especially on the hard days, when you're pulled into 10,000 different directions and get the clarity of knowing what to say yes and no to, and the peace of mind of knowing you made the right decision. We are a judgment-free zone here, but I will hold space to keep you accountable. Register for the Boundaries Before Burnout workshop at thecatchgroup.com workshop. That's thecatchgroup.com workshop. I cannot wait to see you there. Welcome to this week's episode of the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. I'm happy to welcome our guest, Diane Winger. Diane left a 20-year career as a psychotherapist to become a business mindset coach for high achieving women. She loves helping them become more confident, successful, and unapologetically ambitious by eliminating the beliefs and habits that hold them back. In our conversation, we talked about the impacts of mental health pre-pandemic and post-pandemic, how women, especially in executive and C suite roles, hesitate to tell their organizations what they need, sometimes seeking permission or apologizing for their needs. We talked about why high achieving leaders tend to underestimate how well they're doing, and how we tend to decrease positive behaviors for our, our well being at the times that we need the most, at the times of overwork and burnout. We also talked about what tends to help us be more resilient and the importance of understanding your non-negotiables and needs to prioritize your health to keep your boundaries. Let's get started. Well, I want to welcome you to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: I'm excited to be here and I've really, really been looking forward to this conversation, Laura
1: yeah same i would love if you could tell us a little bit more about yourself can you tell us a bit about your story
0: absolutely i'd love to thank you for asking so i've had several careers and i think that may not have been as common in my generation as it is now but my first career was in corporate in the medical sales world i started off in big pharma i sold medical malpractice insurance And ultimately ended that part of my career working with a company that made artificial hips and knees, which I'm getting dangerously close to possibly needing one of these days. My next career was that I went back to grad school when my kids were in elementary school and I got a master's in social work and I went into the field of social welfare for about 20 years. So that included medical social work. Uh, I, I worked my way up to clinical director of a large mental health agency And I have a lot of strong feelings about mental health, which I'm sure we're going to get more into, but ultimately ended my career in that field um, in private practice and then decided that I was ready to start talking much more about potential than problems. And the clients that I was really enjoying working with were high ability, high achieving women who were struggling with their mental health. So we moved to a different state and I didn't want to get licensed all over again. So I went through coach training and certification and I have been doing that ever since and realized I was really working with a lot of the same people in my private practice that I am now, but we are focusing on goals and achievement rather than insight and healing. Thank you so much for
1: the added context there. And I love how your career has kind of shifted over the years to bring you where you are now. And so uh, you and I are both coaches. Some of our clients are a little bit different, um, but we both work with high achieving women. And so I really am excited to be in conversation with you today so we can dig in on, on some of these things. Like you mentioned, this idea of, you know, struggle with mental health. So, pandemic has been—we're two years in the thick of it. Lots of people got returning to office. It changed the way of life for many of us, the way that we work. And you know, we say kind of post-pandemic, but I still think we're we're still in the in the thick of it. Or this idea of you know things have changed, right, <laughs> for better or worse, and for some, a lot worse. And so, um, I know for myself. There are ups and downs, you know, for mental health. So I'd love to dig into, to some of this idea of mental health, how it's showing up in clients that you've seen that I've seen. And if we could just kind of take a deeper look, what has pandemic done for better or worse, and specifically dig in a little bit more to mental health.
0: I'd love to. In fact, I I like to even put it within the framework of going back to pre-pandemic because Mm -hmm. we both work with high achieving, high ability women and whether they're in corporate, nonprofit, academia or the entrepreneurial world, high ability women tend to be perfectionist, tend to struggle with anxiety, imposter syndrome, and these things were in place prior to the pandemic What the pandemic did was send many people home to work from home for the first time at the same time that their partners were also working from home and their kids were trying to learn from home. So instead of having the different compartments of your life separated for most of the business hours, now they're all in the same place. And I think that just exacerbated, amplified all of the things that we're already dealing with, the workaholism, the high expectations of self, and always feeling like you've got too many balls in the air. And at any moment, one or more of them can drop. I think it just turbocharged that.
1: You're so right. The way that you described that, it brought me back to beginning of pandemic, when the kids were home, my kids at the time were four and seven Mm. and they had, you know, stuff on zoom and my husband and I were both working from home and he had always been worked in the office. So that was new, even um, because I was working from home a little bit at the time. And I remember being a senior leader in an organization, lots of jerk reports, big team in the C-suite. And I started talking about, Hey, I'm going to, take a step back during these office, during the the morning so I can be with the kids, so I can help them in in virtual school. And I started being very uh, vocal about, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is what we need to do. I had to set boundaries around time and all the things. And so I would talk about it. And one of my peers um, who did not have kids in school anymore, his kids were older. He said, I love that you're talking about work-life balance. And I almost lost my mind. And I was like, oh, oh no, this isn't this is work life balance. This is we're just surviving over here. (laughs) And I'm and I'm letting you know that I'm not going to be available for certain meetings because I'll be literally with my children, you know, trying to teach, you know, kindergarten or whatever it was at the time. And so um, even then it was like you said, it was juggling. It was um, intense. It was on all the time and definitely not work-life balance.
0: No, not only that, what I'm impressed by Laura is that you literally said, this is what's going to happen. Because I'm part of the generation of women who were the first generation to go to work in large numbers while having young kids at home. So we didn't really feel comfortable dictating our terms. Even those of us who made it up the food chain into the C-suite, there was still, and I think still is, even with women in the C-suite, a lot of hesitation permission seeking, Mm -hmm. worry, apology about kind of, is it okay that I have these needs? They're legitimate needs. They're not preferences. You're not asking to be uh, accommodated, but it's literally acknowledging that you as the human being are frankly wearing multiple hats and they can't all fit on your head at the same time. I'm I'm happy to see that happening more and more and I think for many women that still feels really scary.
1: It does feel scary. It absolutely does. And for me, I was in a position I had a really great manager who asked how it was going and I told him, "Hey, this is what I need to do." And he said, "Okay." And I was in a position of power, too, right? I was in the mm-hmm. C-suite, so I felt like, "Hey, I can do this." My husband who also was at the time too, in the C-suite of his company could do the same. So we were, and I had a supportive partner, right? So I was, yes. first of yes. all, I had a part, I have a partner. Second, yes. we are doing it together. So there's yes. all this privilege, you know, wrapped around all of this stuff. But to your point, there's many of my clients that at that time, they're like, okay, how are we getting this done? They just extended their work days, which many times I did too, but I I literally had to work less hours but at the end of the day we were just you know both of us we were exhausted and i will tell you like all those things for you know mental health and all that stuff it just didn't happen right so Me- meaning
0: I, self-care care
1: yeah all of yeah, those things all the was, things that
0: we we try to do ordinarily um for well-being and mm-hmm. to to maintain our mental health yeah all, all that stuff flew out the window and, and as well most people gained weight, didn't eat as healthy, like overused social media, tech, technology, entertainment because it was chronic high levels long term stress with no certain end in mind. I mean yeah. we we literally didn't know from day to day what our circumstances were going to be and in my experience most people don't function well with chronic high levels of uncertainty, fear, and doubt. They just don't
1: No, And I don't think we were ready for it. And so as we're now kind of getting back into what the new is, it's not really new anymore, right? It is. This is (laughs) is what it is. And knowing that it was, it's not going to be what it was pre-pandemic. What do you see in the, in the women that you coach? How has the last two years affected mental health, all of the fear, uncertainty, um, doubt that you mentioned, and kind of the, you know, exhaustion of it all? Are we becoming more resilient? Is it amplified even more? Like, what has this done for, for us
0: or to us? It's a really impeccable question because resiliency is one of the things that I've really been obsessed with almost all of my life because I've seen so many things that occur to people. Some of them thrive under the very same conditions that other people just collapse. So are we more resilient? I think it may be a little bit too early to tell, but I can speak to what tends to help us be more resilient. And you've mentioned a couple of them already, Laura. For example, if you have a partner and your partner is supportive, that helps you be more resilient. But I also know that I was a single parent of three teenagers for a decade. They weren't teenagers at the end, but it actually was easier for me to be a single parent with three kids than to have a partner who wasn't really a partner. So I think a lot of times women feel like they're struggling and they wouldn't be struggling or they would struggle less if they had a partner. I'm speaking to the single moms out there of which there are many, but it's really only a resiliency benefit if the partner is supportive. And I don't just mean like they take out the trash, you know, like the the bar has to be set a little higher that they actually understand what you're going through. They actually are both practically supportive and emotionally available for that level of support on an ongoing basis, that you are literally a team. That is not always the case. I think what's been so challenging about the pandemic is that most people don't partner with someone who is their mirror image. We tend to partner with someone who has different coping strengths and struggles. And sometimes things you didn't know about the other person or didn't know about yourself are evoked over long-term high levels of stress. I mean, I saw people come to almost to blows in the supermarket over the whole toilet paper debacle because one person thought they needed to buy as much as the store would allow them to. And the other person is thinking. Hey, that's kind of ridiculous. I mean, we're not the only people that need toilet paper here. It's one of the reasons why I really appreciate so much that you and I both talk a lot about values, because I think what really helps us be resilient under conditions like this are one, if you have a partner, they are a supportive partner, that you have people outside of your household that are sources of support, that you have a boss that you feel is at least minimally understanding about your needs and your circumstance. I've been in the C-suite and I reported to a boss that was, that harassed me. That's how I ended my career and started working for myself. So I think just being in the C-suite doesn't necessarily mean you're home free because if you don't have the person that you report to, if that relationship is not good, You've got a problem i think if you are financially secure and not overextended during the housing crisis in california when i was living there i saw a lot of people when one person lost their job and let's face it a lot of people have lost their jobs during the pandemic so let's say you are partnered with someone who lost their job or had their hours cut back Now, all of a sudden, you're in a much more strenuous situation. And I think those of us who are able to recognize what our personal buttons are with respect to stress and need for support, in my experience, a lot of high achieving women have very high expectations of themselves while having more reasonable expectations of others. So they may think, oh, it's okay if I'm not getting enough sleep for now, I can do this. Meanwhile, they make sure that their sister, their friends, their mom, everybody else is getting plenty. So I think just really being aware of what you actually need and what your non-negotiables are. For me personally, I do better when I exercise every day, but under the conditions of these last couple of years, I also know that my Non-negotiable is not exercise; it's sleep. Mm-hmm. I have to hit a minimum number of hours of sleep on a regular basis, or my mental health will start to slip. My exercise it helps with mental well-being, it helps with with stress, it helps with resiliency, it helps prevent burnout. But sleep is actually my non-negotiable. You know, I don't always get enough, but I have to get the minimum. And a lot of people really, it's not that we're in denial about these things. It's that oftentimes high ability women think they're doing better than they are because they feel like they have to believe that. And then you're going down the slippery slope to stress related symptoms and a possible mental health crisis. You know what I'm talking about, right?
1: I do. And a couple of things that you just said resonated with me, this idea of yes, all of us know what we like need to do because we're telling everybody else to do that. Like exactly. And our friends, you know, you're that supportive person, but you're going to be the first one to not do it for yourself and give away your time or your energy to other people Mm -hmm. or to work. And I see it like, oh my goodness, day in and day out with some of my high achieving clients and I don't know that they're self-aware to that, right? And you mentioned kind of non-negotiables. And I know we both can talk about how do you set boundaries. And, you know, sometimes those first ones that we have for ourselves are the ones that fly out the window, especially under stress. And those are the times that you need it the most.
0: Exactly.
1: Right? And you're saying, Oh, well, I can give away that time because it's just for me. Like, of course, you can jump on my calendar. I'll help you team do x, y, z, or I cut out the my sleep to finish a presentation. Or, you know, the list goes on and on, right? It's so interesting that, yeah, we know we probably know what it is. But I wonder too, do do people know in your experience, do they really understand what their non-negotiables are? Like, I don't know that all of my clients could identify in the way that you just did.
0: Yes. I think most don't, to be honest with you. And and, and there's a couple of reasons for that. For example, we are all culturally conditioned to what it means to be female, what it means to be a working woman, what it means to be a working mom, what it means to be an executive. We are all conditioned according to our gender, according to our social class, according to our profession, and we have all these layers upon layers upon layers of conditioning, which become unconscious programs that just run themselves in our minds and brains. And at that point, we really become completely unaware of them. So things that we are unconscious to, we don't question, we don't challenge, and we're largely not very self-aware about But someone who's been through a mental health crisis, someone who has been through a legitimate burnout, and burnout is one of the things that I coach on a lot, coming back from burnout, preventing burnout, and really understanding yourself, starting with biology, values, goals, and really teasing apart the cultural conditioning that you have. Like, for example, i work with a lot of women that are immigrants and a lot of immigrants, in addition to the feminine conditioning, the professional conditioning, and all the other types of conditioning also have this internalized belief that they need to be really successful and self-sacrificing because of all of the sacrifices their parents made to bring them to this country so that they could have better opportunity. And we're both in the US. So that's what I'm referring to. They don't even realize that they have that. So do we all have to get to the point where we have a breakdown in order to become aware? Well, you could experiment and try depriving yourself of things to find out. I don't generally recommend that. I think that you can do something as simple as this, Laura. And when I think about all the ways that we can become more aware of what our actual needs are, if we frame it as a biological need and not as a choice, a preference, a privilege, or like some kind of pampering, but it's legitimately a need, we are probably going to be more likely to insist on it. And what I've learned, I've I've read many books about sleep and its impact on the brain. And most people, most women and especially most high ability women are not getting enough sleep for their brain, for their mental well-being, for their hormones. Like sleep, if I were to convince everybody listening of one thing, if there's other things that you can change, get more sleep. That's almost for everybody. Other basic things, exercise is really important. Hydration. We all think we're exhausted because we work so much and that's probably true, but the leading cause of fatigue is dehydration. And I am so guilty of that because why don't I drink enough? because if I drink a lot, I have to go to the bathroom more often. Well, going to the bathroom more often is inconvenient and time consuming. So therefore I just won't drink so much. Now it sounds ridiculous telling you this, but when you think about the women that we both work with, I know I'm not the only one.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. They're uh, the women that I work with sometimes aren't eating during the day because they're uh, they're in back-to-back meetings.
0: Yeah. They don't have time. I don't have time to eat. I don't have time to exercise. I don't have time to drink water. I don't have time to sleep. I guarantee you, unless you have like ridiculously good genetics and you're very, very young, it's going to catch up with you and it will absolutely affect your mental health. So what's the solution? You and I both know what the solution is. We have to get better at setting boundaries and we have to get better at believing That they are both necessary and acceptable. I I think the thing that most women are most afraid of is that people are going to think that they're selfish or unfeminine. Here we are in 2022. So we overextend ourselves to everyone in every way because we're terrorized by the thought that someone would find us selfish, self absorbed, withholding you know, unfilled unavailable unavailable because, you know, and it's like, that has to change or we're all going to be burned out.
1: Yeah. So something that you said earlier, um, well, first this idea of it's a need, it's like bringing me back to like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like you get to self-actualization and growth. If you're literally not getting your basic needs met, Mm -hmm. like sleep, nutrition, moving your body, those things and thinking of it as a need. I love that in terms of grounding that, well, I I have to have to eat. I have, well, even if sometimes people aren't like you, you really need to, (laughs) right. Have to sleep. Um, And what is that non-negotiable? So I love this idea of asking, what is that for me? And again, like we both say this idea of building that as a non-negotiable boundary and how you can do that. Um, but you also mentioned, will we even know unless we get to the point of burnout? So how, how many or how often is it the case that we're not actually seeking help or doing something because it's reached this burnout stage or even like undiagnosed mental, um, mental diagnosis? Like, is, the, is this very common in women? Is it more common than in men? Tell me more about your experience with that.
0: Because women are more complex biologically, and that is basically because of our hormonal system and all the different cycles and phases we go through from menstruation to menopause, whether we have kids or not, we are literally going through different hormonal cycles every single month, which have dramatic effects on our mind, brain, and body not to mention our mood. So there's a wonderful book I'd like to mention called The Female Brain by Luann Brizendine, MD. And I have often referred women to it because she goes chapter by chapter through the different stages of a woman's life and what your brain actually needs. But I'm gonna give you a quick little shortcut. For water, you can't go wrong with eight glasses a day. But if you get four a day, you are doing your brain a huge service. I actually, I know this is a podcast and so no one's going to uh, see this, but I'm holding up this water bottle that I have. I had to invest $65 in this water bottle. It has a a sync to an app on my phone and there's a, a bottom that lights up and reminds me to pick it up and drink it because I tried every other way to get myself to drink more water, just didn't do it. But now I have programmed my brain when this thing flashes, pick it up and drink it. So you really can get four in you a day. And I think one of the things that I think is so important that I coach my clients on is to think of a minimal and an optimal. High achieving women tend to only think of optimal. And if we can't achieve optimal, we don't think it quote unquote counts. So we push ourselves to always do the best, our best, the most. And oftentimes it is not sustainable, even if we could do it once in a while. So I think the two most important things are sleep and water from the extensive research that I've done. So if you get four glasses of water a day on a regular basis, you are not trying to think with brain jerky. That's my little term for a dried out brain, because trust me, a dried out brain does not work as well. And you will be more likely to experience depression. 40% of women over 40 are on antidepressants. So plenty of women are saying I need help, but most of the time they're just trying to medicate it. And those medications have side effects. When it comes to sleep, our brain goes through all the different phases of sleep over the course of 90 minutes. So a quick little formula is try to complete as many 90 minute cycles as you can so that when you're waking up, you're waking up at the beginning of a new cycle so you're more easily aroused. This whole business about eight hours of sleep is actually not great. You're better off with seven and a half because that's five complete cycles of 90 minutes. So if you set your alarm for seven and a half hours, you are waking up at a time when you are easier to arouse than at eight. The eight thing came from the industrial revolution. We just tried to divide everybody's week into equal thirds, so they would all be convinced to go to the workplace for eight hours a day, eight hours of sleep, eight hours of work and eight hours for everything else. It's really not biologically sound.
1: Hey there, Laura here with a quick reminder to check out our Boundaries Before Burnout workshop. If you want to feel renewed energy and focus to put your skill set to work by stepping out of things that are not meant for you and prioritizing your own needs, our two-session workshop on August 24th and 29th can be the pathway for you to get there. Register for the Boundaries Before Burnout workshop at thecatchgroup.com/workshop. That's thecatchgroup.com/workshop. Don't reach the point of burnout, shift your focus to you instead of your next to do. It's so interesting, the systems that were built (laughs) and what, and what hangs around.
0: Oh, goodness. Well, you know, it's like I said before, Laura, everything eventually becomes unconscious because we hear it all the time, we hear it from other people, we're taught in public school, we're taught in our corporate careers and everyone else seems to be doing it and it's, it's reinforced. So your brain is going to put anything that it's heard over and over and over again on a default setting because that's how the brain saves space And allows you i mean if you think about it what most people don't know about the brain i think needs to be taught to children in grade school starting with this you're born with one brain you never get an update you never buy an upgrade you can't get more memory so how is that brain going to serve you from birth to death roughly 80 years this is how anything you've heard a bunch of times the, the brain creates a neural pathway it's a default setting so it doesn't have to use energy to think that, to choose that every single time. But that's also what's so challenging for us because things that we've been thinking about ourselves and our culture and the workplace and what it takes to be a successful corporate female, most of that stuff we learned so long ago. It's just in there on autopilot. It's not being challenged. We don't even know it's there anymore. We just think, well, that's what it is. But that's where we start to take back control and take better care of ourselves, because most of the things we think we need to do, simply because we've been thinking that way for a long time, we can challenge. And I think we need to challenge or we most of us will burn out. I think it's just ghastly that so many women are on antidepressants. This cannot be normal. And a lot of it has to do with unrealistic expectations and not feeling okay to set limits, to set boundaries, and to insist on taking at least minimal care of ourselves during times of stress as a medical necessity.
1: I love the switch to it's a it's a necessity. I also love the lens of optimal versus minimal. Because absolutely, like you said, okay, what's optimal? What's the goal? What do I need to achieve? And then if I'm not close, well, then I'm not even going to try. Well, I'm not, I'm not near that. I got to prioritize something else that I know, it, right? And so I love this idea of min- minimal as still as success, because I, I think it is, we have to retrain and redefine what's okay for us. And building some of these boundaries, they don't have to be these huge all or nothing things. It's at the end of the week, more, did I drink this many glasses of water more days than not? Wonderful. That is, that is a successful week. And let's repeat that next week.
0: Absolutely. And if you're not drinking any water now, because you're so busy, you don't have time to go to the bathroom. Just drink one glass a day, like a full glass and coffee and tea don't count because they have water in them, you could consider that a win. It's like, you know, there's so many people who have been able to exercise, lose weight, go from being completely sedentary to running marathons, but they didn't start from the couch to, you know, running 10 miles a day. They literally, I've known many people who are health and, and fitness coaches who would literally say your first week you put on You're running clothes, you tie your sneakers, and you walk to the mailbox. If you do anything more than that, you're a ninja. But that's all you need to do for the first week because you're literally training your brain to have more realistic expectations of yourself. I mean, I think it's a beautiful thing that women like us and those we work with are so driven, so motivated, so ambitious, and want to do so much. But it does take self awareness self-discipline, and self-acceptance to dial back from always having to do the ultimate and still feel okay about it. That's an inside job because your company benefits from you overdoing it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the lever that we usually pull is I talk about... Um, How I have multiple different values and one of my values is achievement and earlier in career, you know, achievement meant working more, right? And so who benefits most from that? Obviously, whoever I'm working for. And so there's lots of people pulling that lever and it doesn't mean that it's the wrong lever to pull, but I just, I can't only pull that lever. I have all these other things that are very important to me, probably more important than achievement. Um, If I actually rank them. And so it's, it's pulling a different level more often, even if it's just minimally, I um, now can say that I have, you know, built a life of boundaries still tied to my values and things that are important to me. But now one of my, one of my values is, is balance. And that's where I find my self-care where I, you know, work out where I get alone time where it's actually centered on me being centered with myself. Right. As opposed to over indexing on achievement,
0: it's redefining things, as you say. And overworking is not a victimless crime. You know, your family suffers, you physically and emotionally and mentally suffer. And, you know, I always like to say all behavior is habit forming. And I include thoughts and emotions in that. So everything we think, everything we feel, everything we do is habit forming. So if your habits are to always do too much, to overextend yourself, to make yourself available and accessible without limits, to always try to hit your optimum at everything, you may become a superstar around the office. People may respect and admire you, but ultimately what you're doing isn't sustainable and it's very, very habit forming. So I think the hardest thing is when you realize you're not having fun, even though you may be getting all kinds of positive feedback, you feel kind of dead inside. And, you know, people use the term soul sucking. But I think what's also hard, Laura, is one of the things I talk a lot about is guilt and shame, because we are conditioned to achieve. And many of us are very driven by nature. I know I am. I mean, I I was that little girl in the Girl Scout troop that sold more cookies than all the other girls put together. Like I am born to be an overachiever. But at some point when you're being honest with yourself, you realize you start to feel trapped by it and it no longer feels like a choice because it isn't. Because your brain has all these default settings, and you have become habituated to always pushing yourself to the limit. So, anything you would want to do that is less, you'll feel guilty and ashamed. And that is one of the biggest reasons why so many women feel depressed over these last couple of years, because we have been forced to do less, whether we wanted to or not. And even though we had a very legitimate and obvious reason for it, in my experience, many women still felt guilty and ashamed for things like, you know, I I don't wear real pants to my Zoom meetings. And I'd be horrified if anyone knew. I'm like, what do you think everybody else is wearing? <laughs> I mean, plenty of people were like, I can't find the camera setting. My camera's not working. And it's because you just got up five minutes ago. Like, it's okay. And that's why I think it's so important for women to talk to other women about this sort of stuff and take the risk of being honest and saying things like, I'm kind of struggling right, right now. How about you? Because that feels like. I mean, I think we are all, another thing I think women are culturally conditioned for is to see other women as competition. And when that's ingrained in you, you are not going to turn to other women for support or even a reality check. You're going to think I'm feeling this way and I'm the only one feeling this way. And it is a reflection on me as being weak or incompetent or not good enough, which I think one of the biggest mental health problems of this last couple of years is isolation. And I don't just mean being locked up in our houses. That's very obvious form of isolation, but not being able to have readily available and accessible interactions with people that form that first layer of social support, you know,
1: That's been really
0: hard for a lot of people, especially the extroverts, but even introverts, like I think we all really underestimated what we actually get from those superficial social interactions that take place in the workplace.
1: Yeah, even just not being out in the world as much you just miss those things, like all the, all the technology that everything can now be delivered to your house. Well, okay. Sounds great. But it means that I'm not out there, you know, interacting with people to your point, even some of the superficial ones do have mental health benefits.
0: They totally do those little interactions with your barista, Mm -hmm. you know, like for some people that starts their day off with a positive feeling this person smiles at me every time i come in we joke about things they always remember my order they spell my freaking name right like <laughs> you start your day with a win and it sounds silly but in reality those things contribute to positive mental health they really really do
1: so as we um as we think about because we're high achievers, right? What's the thing that I can do better, right? (laughs) That's where where some of our minds are going. A few things that I'm taking away from our conversation already is setting some of our minimal viable needs, right? So Mm -hmm. understanding what those are, maybe around sleep, about water intake, maybe now even about social support. What other things do you think are actionable, for us to kind of recenter and and give ourselves a bit more attention, so that we're not in crisis mode, um, so that we're not in this burnout stage.
0: I think that high achieving women are generally very good multitaskers, and while I understand that multitasking is actually not possible, it's task switching. I'm going to recommend a different form of multitasking, and that is this. If you've got littles at home, you know that they need to be engaged with, and you know that there are benefits to being outdoors, even when the weather is not that good. And we've been talking about the need for social support that so many of us have been deprived of. I think that you can multitask by getting out with your kids, preferably in a place where you are likely to encounter other moms and other kids. And consider that three items on your to-do list for the weekend, sun and time in nature, time spent with the kids and giving yourself the opportunity to be around other moms. Like, Don't think that that's a waste of time or like, look for ways that you can get your needs met while you are meeting the needs of those in your care because i think so many high achieving women think well i would do this for my kids but you know there just isn't enough for me okay be creative be that wonderful problem solver that you are and think if i was taking my own needs seriously if i was putting my own needs for mental and physical and emotional well being on par with my kids what are some creative ways that I could work that in to the plans we already have for the weekend? Because we're trying to be everything to everybody round the clock all the time. And I certainly remember those many years of raising three kids at home. I was always last on the list. If I was even on the list, if I had it to do over, especially in something like what we've been through these last couple of years, I would be like, okay, I'm on the list and I need to make sure that I'm choosing things that benefit me while benefiting others. And don't throw yourself under the bus. I mean, there's plenty, you'd have plenty of company under there, (laughs) all the other women doing so. But, you know, I'd say that the first and foremost thing is that it actually is a medical necessity for you to take care of yourself. And you are a high ability woman who wants to remain that way. Your emotional and physical well being depends on some care, even at a minimum level, for you to be able to continue to show up in the way that you want to. It really has to be a non-negotiable.
1: I love non-negotiable in business and in personal. I I resonate with that uh, myself. And I think we would know what those are in business, right? We know what the non-negotiables are. And a- absolutely, we know what the strategy is. We know what our goals are, our OKRs or whatever, whatever your, your key
0: performance indicators, uh-huh,
1: your your KPIs, non-negotiables, all the things. So let's mm-hmm. um, let's let's bring that into into non-negotiables for for our own care. It goes back to stuff that my mom used to ask me when I was in college. Laura, are you taking care of yourself? And I will say my, my mom usually knew when I wasn't. Right?
0: So. Well, it's in, and, and I, I'm not surprised that it was your mom. Yeah. Because she, by the time you were in college, she was at an age and stage where women start to realize that they are not limitless. This is an easier message for a woman in her fifties to hear than one in her thirties or 40s, where you still have a lot of energy. Mm -hmm. And I think this can be let's, I know we have to wrap up. Let's end with this. I think if you can realize life really is the long game, your career really is the long game. Parenting really is the long game. And whatever you do for yourself now is going to pay off later. And whatever you're not doing for yourself now, you will reap the consequences of later. So I really like working in the fly zone of between minimum and optimum and really making friends with doing the minimum during times of prolonged stress and calling that a win, because even if you're getting away with it now, you're not actually getting away with it. You're just not experiencing the consequences now. But trust me, from somebody who's been on the planet a little bit longer, you eventually will.
1: Very well said. Very well said. Well, how can our listeners connect with you and learn more about you?
0: If you like the sound of my voice and what I have to say with it, I would encourage you to join me on the Driven Woman podcast, which is for high ability women who want to change their habits and mindset to reach even more of their goals. I have a private Facebook group I can have Laura link to in the show notes. And I have a quiz. Uh, called What's Holding You Back that identifies six of the main things. Perfectionism is one of them. Just spoiler alert here. Six different things that are common to high achieving women where we unconsciously hold ourselves back. So I'll make sure Laura has the link to that as well. And you can take the quiz and get some free resources from me that will help.
1: I love that. Thank you so much for making that available to us. And we will link everything in the show notes. Just thank you so much for being in conversation today. I've learned so much from you and there are so many actionable tips that I think listeners will pick up from this. So I just appreciate your time and to be in, in connection and discussion. It was such a, such a fun conversation.
0: It's definitely been my pleasure, Laura.
1: Thank you. I want to thank you so much for listening to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. If you are enjoying this content, please remember to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. By leaving a review, you're helping others find this content. We will be featuring five-star reviews on air in upcoming episodes. Editing and support for the podcast is done by S&E Podcast Management. To get more tips and tools to help you live a life guided by your values go to thecatchgroup.com. Keep your boundaries and take care.